Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners. Also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200. Hello, everybody, and welcome to my full spoiler review of The Flash. There's been a lot of stuff that I wanted to talk about when I did my regular review last week that I didn't get a chance to do. Let's jump right into it. And the first thing I want to talk about is the hype around this movie. And I mentioned in my non-spoiler review that I think it was a mistake to hype this movie up to the degree that they did with DC saying, well, it's one of the best comic book movies ever made. It's the best DC movie since The Dark Knight. And I'm not saying that they should have said like, oh, well, this movie's not very good anyway. But when you set the bar as this is one of the greatest superhero films ever made and you deliver, in my opinion, a perfectly acceptable superhero film, well, then you just set the stage for disappointment. And we're actually already seeing that. The cinema score was released for The Flash earlier tonight as I'm filming this. It was a B cinema score, which is not a great cinema score. Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania got a B. Batman v Superman got a B. And what that usually means is that the expectation levels for those opening night audiences were too high, either because you promised them something you didn't deliver or because the movie wasn't as good as they thought it would be. And I think in this case, The Flash did both of those things. DC delivered a movie that, yes, had Michael Keaton as Batman, but that ultimately didn't go anywhere or really have any consequence for the DCEU. The new Supergirl is brought in as a character who's doomed to die, and it doesn't really do anything to either perpetuate or reset the DC universe as we know it. That again goes to managing expectations because that was not the messaging that was going out about this film. It was supposed to be this huge key to the future of DC, and that's not what they delivered. And I'm not saying that audiences like the people who saw it at CinemaCon, the first major audiences to see it, a lot of critics and journalists that were really hyping this movie up. I'm not saying they were disingenuous in any way, but it's part of what I say about, you know, when you see reactions coming in from movie premieres or events like CinemaCon, there is a certain kind of a buzz and an energy that those events have that you don't necessarily get at a regular public screening or even a a critic screening that's held in a different venue. And so sometimes you do see that extra boost of positivity because it's part of whole experience that not everyone gets to share and it's why I say early reactions are great but also just kind of wait and see the different stages of people reacting to movies like this. You know, it's weird to think that we have just two movies left in the DCEU as we know it. Blue Beetle, which comes out later this summer, and then the second Aquaman movie, which comes out at the end of the year. I I hate to say it, but I think when you look back at the last 10 years, it's going to be seen as a series of experiments, some of them successful, 
a lot of them failed. And a very tumultuous period for these characters full of corporate changes and changes in strategy and changes in director. So perhaps it's apt in a way that there's a core of something good with The Flash that's surrounded with a bunch of other things that make everything kind of chaotic and messy. So let's dive deep into some of those things, what I liked, what I didn't like, some questions that I had coming out of the movie, and where we may be overall in the DC universe, or maybe the fact that none of this is even important. Let's talk first about the visual effects, because that has been one of the big discussion points around the movie, and I mentioned in my non-spoiler review that I actually liked some of them. I liked how they depicted Barry running at super speed, and I liked the overall idea of the design of the Speed Force, the idea of Barry being in this ball in the center, and then he's sort of surrounded in this arena of his past, and as he runs, things kind of flip back and forth or flip backwards. Now, I didn't like the design on the people in that Speed Force, and it really bothered me even more the second time I saw it, because I saw it in IMAX this time, so the picture is even bigger than the first time, and, you know, director Andy Muschietti said, like, well, you know, some of the visual effects look that way because they're supposed to look that way because the way that the Flash sees things is distorted. Regardless, I thought that they looked really bad. Uh, intentional or not, a lot of these VFX just looked pretty awful from a 2023 standpoint. Really awful from a 2013 standpoint in a lot of ways. And a lot of the bad visual effects were in that very first sequence, the hospital sequence in Gotham City. That is one of the worst sequences in any superhero movie that I can remember. I really thought that we were in for a rough ride when I saw that the first time. It's the sequence that I was referring to in my non-spoiler review when I said that there was one that just went a little too goofy for me. This sequence was beyond goofy. I understand what they're going for. This very kind of cartoonish thing where, you know, oh, all the babies are falling and this one's going to get acid thrown on it. It's sort of like, well, how much worse can it get? That tone just didn't work for me. It reminded me of that scene in The Naked Gun. They basically do that same beat with all of the babies and all of the carriages going going down the stairwell, but that was a literal parody movie. Like, that movie was supposed to be crazy and ridiculous. I mean, there's just nothing funny about putting a baby in a microwave to me. I, I, maybe this is a controversial stance, but baby in microwave doesn't automatically equal funny. And then with the effects in that sequence also, I think, being so bad, it was luckily the worst part of the movie, so I guess may as well get it done with right up front. But I'll also say that, you know, if the effects are supposed to look bad when the Flash is running around, then it's Explain to me some of the effects in that same sequence with Ben Affleck's Batman, because those effects were also pretty awful. It's really kind of weird, because there was some stuff in this movie that I thought genuinely looked good, but there was so much that I thought looked bad, and this movie has been in production for so long, you'd think that they'd be able to get it all right or get it all finished, but aesthetic choice, budget, whatever it was, the visual effects, as much as they impressed me in, in some points, uh, probably double that amount, really did not impress me, and it did take me out of the movie a little bit. Now, if this is the last that we are going to see of many members of the Justice League, we have that Aquaman movie coming up at the end of the year, then I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag. It was nice to see Ben Affleck's Batman get another big action sequence. Of course, we had Wonder Woman come back. I'm pretty sure Gal Gadot did this scene on the same green screen stage where she did her Shazam cameo and then maybe flipped over for another blockbuster cameo that I won't spoil. But it's just weird that like she comes in for like one minute per DCEU film with her theme song, which is always nice to hear because it's a great theme song. But I hate that they did the same gag with her, the thing where she has her lasso wrapped around Batman and he's saying, 
saying things. I mean, they did that beat in Wonder Woman with Chris Pine. Uh, they did that beat in the Joss Whedon version of Justice League with Aquaman. Now you do it with Batman. It's like, you know, there's more than one joke when it comes to Wonder Woman. We've seen that joke many times before. And then she was just like, okay, bye. And then just, you know, flies away. Fine, whatever. But we see the back of Superman's head. There's no cyborg, which I guess really isn't that big of a shocker. We do get Aquaman at the end of the movie, but he's in this new timeline. I know we're going to talk about all that stuff later. But the one thing that seems very obvious is that the timeline in this movie where we start is its own kind of splinter timeline when it comes to the DC Universe because this appears to be the timeline in which the cut of Justice League that exists is the Zack Snyder version because it's explicitly referenced twice. Once the first time that Iris and Barry meet and she says, you know, I feel like we saw each other a few years ago. That's a reference to the Barry saves Iris scene that was in only Zack Snyder's Justice League. And then we had a quick reference from Ben Affleck um, as Bruce Wayne when they're talking about the Speed Force. And he says, oh, it's like the same thing you did in Russia. And Barry says, well, that was a second. and This was a day. Again, that's something that only happened in Zack Snyder's Justice League. So it does appear that the official canon of the DCEU, what little of it is left, is that we are in the version where Zack Snyder's Justice League is the version of Justice League, which at this point doesn't really matter. I mean, this is all coming to a close anyway. And personally, I like Zack Snyder's version a lot better anyway, so I'm fine with this. I mentioned in my non-spoiler review that I thought that Ezra Miller's performance in the movie was very strong, putting aside all of the crazy off-screen stuff, which, you know, should not be discounted. And as I said, if you choose not to see the movie for those reasons, I completely understand that. But one of the reasons that I thought that Ezra Miller was so good is because the Barry story in this movie is what I think is easily the best thing about the movie. And the elements that work the best are all connected to that core Barry storyline. If you strip away all the window dressing, it's really a good arc about accepting fate and the dangers of obsessing over the past, learning that not every problem has a solution like Barry's mom tells him. He literally becomes his own worst enemy. And then that final scene between Barry and his mom in the grocery store works so well. It's just such an emotionally rich and resonant scene. The story of Barry going back in time to save his mom and then seeing that no matter what he does, that this world that he's created is doomed and accepting the the fact that if he commits to trying to do this, he's not only going to doom the world, he's going to doom himself, is a really strong character arc and some really good storytelling. And I wish that they had focused a little bit more on that. I don't know if they didn't have faith that you could pull off that storyline without bringing in other people or if they just felt like they wanted to add a little bit of marketing potential to the movie, but they kind of buried the lead because the Barry story is the best part of the film. It also works great as a Flash origin story without having to actually be one. And I thought that the way that they did this with the older version of Barry, bringing the younger version of Barry in to get his powers, and then you depower the older Barry. So it's basically Flash's origin as seen through the eyes of an older version of himself. I liked the take on the younger Barry version, the kind of burnout teen that we have and his manic energy and all of this craziness around that. That worked for me. 
the visual effects too of the two berries were really seamlessly done. There was not one shot, and I was analyzing it pretty closely the second time I saw the movie, not one shot that really looked fake. And I also love the writing in that scene between the older Barry where he takes his younger self or his alternate self to task for all of the stuff that he takes advantage of and doesn't appreciate in his life. And, and he doesn't want to tell him that his mom died, but at the same time, you know, it's kind of leaking through. And the way that that ties into having Batman help them do this thing, I think that all works really well. And it all does come down to Ezra Miller's performance. I think that it is a really solid performance in both roles. In a movie called The Flash, it turns out when you focus on The Flash, it works well. And if this had been allowed to be a true solo film, I think it would have been even better. My biggest issue with the character arc is that it seems like he doesn't really learn his lesson because, of course, he does make that one change in the timeline that allows his dad to get released from prison, which also results in a timeline disruption. And so that's kind of like undoing your character arc just a little bit. You kind of want to have your cake and eat it too. But that also leads to the ending of the movie, which is this big George Clooney cameo as Bruce Wayne. Now, apparently, you know, from people that were sharing set pictures and stuff, this appears to have been a reshot version of the ending. And there were pictures that came out from that same kind of courthouse setting where it seemed like Michael Keaton and even Sasha Kaye's super girl were going to still be there perhaps setting up a role for them going forward in the dc universe so it would appear that dc said well you know since we're wiping everything anyway let's get rid of keaton and supergirl and let's kind of put in this buzzy george clooney cameo at the end here i think that kind of stinks obviously i think that the movie would have been a little bit more or a lot more actually narratively satisfying if you didn't just write out those two major characters so that they are gone from Barry's life, and the Clooney ending, sure, it gets people buzzy, but that's it, you know, and, and plus it's confusing anyway, because George Clooney was playing the same version of Batman that Michael Keaton played, it wasn't like set in a different universe, because uh, Michael Goff was in there, and Pat Hingle was in there, he was just a recast version of that Bruce Wayne, unless you're saying that the Burtonverse is now split into three different universes of Clooney, Kilmer, and Keaton, it all gets very weird and confusing, and I think that you could have had a much more emotionally satisfying movie in if you hadn't reshot this and just kept Keaton and Sasha Kaye in the movie at the end. I would actually like to watch more extended scenes or if I could reach into a movie universe, try to get some of those alternate Blu-rays of the movies we hear about, like the Eric Stoltz version of Back to the Future or the Michael J. Fox version of Footloose or the Kevin Bacon version of Top Gun. I think they laid it on a little bit thick with the Eric Stoltz stuff and I think that probably a lot of younger viewers uh, for this movie were sitting there going like, who the hell is Eric Stoltz and why are they talking about him being in Back to the Future? But for the older audience members, I thought that that was a, a pretty solid joke. So let's talk about Michael Keaton. For the part that he has to play in the movie, he's obviously engaged and having a good time. I liked Bruce's rapport with Barry as time went on and that kind of kinship that they felt over the loss of a parent and almost that respectful conversation he had when he said, I've spent my life trying to bring my parents back. You actually did it. So yeah, I'm going to help you. I think that that's a great way to tie those two characters together. I was not a fan of Michael Heaton's beard and wig at the beginning. It looked so fake that I assumed that it was actually in the movie supposed to be fake. Like he was going to like at the end of the scene, take the wig off and like pull the beard off and like say that he'd been out doing detective work, you know, undercover all night or something like that. 
But I do like the scientist side that we get to see when he helps Barry set up his repowering experiment, for example, because the Michael Keaton Batman was always sort of a science nerd. I mean, this is the same Batman who single-handedly cracked the Joker's Smilex chemical formula in Batman 89. This was the kind of Batman who would always be down in the Batcave, you know, tooling around by himself or fixing a car or something. And so to bring that again into this film, I thought was a great continuity for that character. It also makes sense because he's sort of sciencey for him to be the character that has to give the required speech about how the multiverse works. That's the funniest thing about all these multiverse movies now is that all of them have to stop and give a speech about how it works. I do like that this one was different at least. It was the the noodle analogy, the idea that you're not just kind of going like that into an alternate timeline, that if you change things, that it's a fulcrum point. And so you have one thing that changes, but then things behind it change and things ahead of it change and you never quite quite know where you're going to go. I thought it was a pretty good explanation of how this multiverse works and explaining that things can change in the past or the future sort of ups the stakes even more than they were already. And listen, I'm a Michael Keaton Batman stan. He will always be my Batman. I idolized his version of Batman when I was a kid. So there's always a part of me that's going to get a little chill when I watch this movie and he comes out in the bat suit for the first time. I love that scene where he is sewing up his arm in the mirror after they go to Siberia and he looks and he sees this like, you know, ugly, dirty wound and he kind of looks at himself and he gives himself a smile. That's what I liked about Michael Keaton in that character is he was kind of crazy. He was kind of psycho, like that lunatic version of him, the kind of bubbling underneath the surface. The idea that this was really sort of a psychosis for him. In that moment, he brought back that side of the character as well. And it really gave me a lot of respect for Michael Keaton as an actor. I already had it. But the fact that he really seemed to understand and be able to recall the character details from all the way back in the 80s and 90s when he was doing this character so that you actually do feel you're watching the same Bruce Wayne 30 years later... I respect that because I think that he knows how much those movies mean to certain people and that they wouldn't just be looking for a guy wearing the Batman mask. They want that character back. And I have to say, as much as I talked about how much I love Michael Keaton and his Batman in this movie, all this great stuff kind of was in service of what? To me, the Batmobile and the way that it's used in this movie is a great metaphor for how Michael Keaton and Batman are also used in this movie, which is Barry pulls the cover off of it, and it's the 89 Batmobile, and he freaks out and makes a big deal, but the movie never actually does anything with it. It's just there for this reveal moment. It's a total nostalgia piece. It's it's empty symbolism. It's there for you to go, wow, look at that thing but they never really go one level underneath that it's what i was worried they were gonna do with andrew garfield and toby mcguire in spider-man no way home but they actually came up with a great story reason to have them there and they flirted with that with keaton a couple times when he had those direct interactions with barry you almost got to that deeper level but then we had to go to the next action sequence or whatever else it was and they never really deepened that relationship i loved seeing batman in this movie but i didn't really feel like his presence was anything special beyond the fact that hey look it's michael keaton as batman again it was very weird to see this version of batman doing like cgi action scenes because to me this batman is like a big dumb rubber bullet he's slow but he's like a tank and they do that in a couple of different scenes but he's also you know kick flipping and doing and flipping around and doing all that stuff but I also know that that's just me being me about this version of Batman and nobody else was probably really bothered by that you want to get nuts Let's get nuts. There's a lot more Flash stuff to get into, but before we do, I'm going to thank the sponsors for this video. 
This episode is brought to you by Collective. You know, some things sound too good to be true, but in this case, it's absolutely real. If you run your own business, you have a chance to save an average of $10,000 on 2023's taxes, but you have to do it right now with Collective.com. Collective is the all-in-one financial solution for freelancers, contractors, and self-employed entrepreneurs like photographers, trainers, and, well, YouTube movie critics. And they handle all of your corporate formation and compliance, paperwork, taxes, bookkeeping, accounting, even payroll. If you're making north of $60,000 in profit per year, Collective is the marriage of technology and human tax and accounting experts that can take the work off your hands and maximize your savings on taxes. If you've done business this year, you have until June 30th to make an S-Corp election, which means Collective can still save you thousands of dollars in taxes by backdating your selection to January. Collective members save on average $10,000 per year on taxes with this structure, making Collective the membership that easily pays for itself and then some. So act before June 30th to save potentially thousands of dollars in 2023 taxes. Go to collective.com to save on taxes this year and have someone who knows what they're doing handle your setup, accounting, bookkeeping, and taxes. That's collective.com. This episode's brought to you by Stamps.com. You know, one of my favorite home additions that we've done here is smart lighting, which means we basically turn the lights on with our voices, and it's made things so much easier. And if we're going digital with the lights in our houses, then why are we still shipping things the old-fashioned way? If you mail or ship often, let Stamps.com do the hard part for you. Simply print postage and shipping labels right from your home or office, and it's ready to go in minutes. Stamps.com has huge carrier discounts, up to 84% off USB. And UPS rates, and their system will find your best discount automatically. With stamps.com, all you need is a computer and printer. They even send you a free scale to get things started. That means no more going to the post office to get postage or even to drop a package off because you can schedule pickup right on your dashboard. For 25 years, stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses because you can get access to the USPS and UPS services you need right away from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Avoid the hassle of shipping the old-fashioned way. Sign up with promo code MERL for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code MERL. Yeah. I'm Batman. Briefly, I do want to mention Benjamin Walfish's score because I loved his incorporation in these Keaton scenes of Danny Elfman's Batman theme, as well as the established sounds and scores for all of these different heroes, including the Flash that we've heard before. At times, it had kind of an 80s Alan Silvestri feel when they were doing more of a riff on Back to the Future. I really respect what he did here in pulling together all these different tones and characters. The actual original score that was kind of free from these existing themes that he wrote was really strong. It's actually one of my favorite superhero scores that I've heard in quite a while. A lot of times, scores for comic book movies can be very kind of forgettable and you don't really remember them. I think that Benjamin Walfish did some great work in this film. Sasha Kaye, Supergirl, I don't want to forget her here. I really liked what little we got of this take on the character. She's grim, but it makes sense in this context. I mean, she was sent to protect her cousin. She can't find her cousin. She's been held underground in this weird prison, you know, almost on the brink of death for who knows how long up in Siberia. So yeah, she's not going to be the happiest person in the world. But I really liked her performance. I liked the suit design. I think she looked really good as Supergirl. Unfortunately, 
unfortunately, her story doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and I think it's because something got cut out somewhere, because she is talking to Barry, and she says, uh, well, you know, humans aren't worth saving, and she flies away, and then the next time we see her, she's looking at Zod, who is, you know, invading the army or whatever, and she sees Zod do all of these things, and then it cuts away, and then the next time we see her, she's back in the Batcave, and she's like, I'll help Barry become the Flash again, and has decided to help them out. She does say, well, you know, Zod is not Krypton, and I want to show that my people aren't all him. But at the same time, it just seems like there was a skipped beat or there was a scene that was cut somewhere or maybe cut out of the script where she realizes actually what service humanity can be to her and why she might want to serve humanity, which is kind of the whole story arc of somebody from Krypton, Superman, Supergirl, whatever you want to call it. So that did kind of feel off for me. I I just feel like there was something missing there. I'm actually sad that they removed her as well, it seems, from future continuity, because it basically leaves us with yet another cool character in this movie who's introduced in the universe just because she's doomed to die. Same with Michael Keaton. I mean, that's the literal definition of bringing in a character to be a one-off, and I think that they're both victims of corporate strategy and reallocation of resources and perhaps they wanted that extra buzz with the George Clooney cameo but regardless I think that the DC universe is worse off for not having either Sasha Kaye or Michael Keaton in future films and maybe as they're restructuring everything they'll find a place for one or both of them because I'd like to see more of both of these characters. The Flash, of course, also paid tribute and homage to a lot of different DC films and projects over the years. Some of that worked, some of that didn't. What I liked were these kind of more subtle references. Uh, For example, when Supergirl is flying Barry up to get struck by lightning, she says, I've got you, which, of course, are the words that Christopher Reeve speaks to Margot Kidder when he catches her in Superman back in 1978. Easy, miss. I've got you. You, You've got me! Who's got you? You also had the older version of Barry giving the younger version of himself basically the same advice that he got in some versions of Justice League from Ben Affleck's Batman about not getting overwhelmed by a situation and just choosing to focus on one thing at a time. Save one. What? Save one person. And, and then? You'll know. And then even inside this movie, you had two versions of Bruce Wayne telling Barry, not this time, kid, maybe another time. Ben Affleck says it when Barry asks him out for a drink. Michael Keaton says it when it becomes clear that the Flash is not going to be able to save his life. This idea of these kind of resonances uh, between universes and these repeated things, I think, plays well thematically with what they were saying, which is that these universes may be completely different, but at the same time, there are these things that are going to be in common between them. Now, what largely did not work for me were the explosions Explicit tributes to other DC movies from across the decades, and I don't mean Michael Keaton being in this movie. I mean, of course, the big spinning multiverse balls that we see at the end of this movie. By and large, I thought they looked awful. I mean, the CG in these were atrociously bad. Again, we're not seeing these things through the speed force with Barry, so I don't really understand why they should have looked as bad as they did. If you had recreated a flawless version of Christopher Reeve as Superman, I would have been somewhat conflicted. But when you give me this PlayStation 2 version of him... I mean, especially so long after anybody really involved with that film who could have given it the go-ahead or the nod of approval has long since left us. That just felt really weird, especially because it felt cynical, because they didn't do anything with it. They show us Christopher Reeve and also this computer cartoon version of Helen Slater that comes flying in, but they don't really do anything with it. So it's like, well, then why did you put it in there? Are you just trying to get in there because you're coasting off of the goodwill that Christopher Reeve brought into Superman? If you're going to put these things in 
there have a reason to do it. The only one that kind of worked for me was Nicolas Cage's Superman because, you know, first of all, they have him fighting a giant spider, which is the payoff to a 25-year-old joke that Kevin Smith set up so long ago. And the only reason I think it kind of works is because we do finally get to see this version of the character realized. I do wonder what the late, great John Schnepp would have thought if he had seen this version. Part of me says that he would have loved to have finally seen the Nick Cage Superman, you know, flying around and doing what he does. Another part of me says he would have pointed at the screen and said, that looks like garbage, because that's just who John Schnepp was. If he thought it looked like crap, he would say that it looked like crap. I didn't think it looked very good. Again, you can get Nicolas Cage. I don't know if they did. I think he probably would have done it because, you know, he's Nicolas Cage. Uh, But the novelty of that was the only thing that worked. Other than that, I, I just really hated these looks because they literally like come in and it's like, look at all these DC characters. And then they're like, okay, bye. And then the things close. I'm not necessarily saying you can't bring back older characters like this, but do it for more than just cheap nostalgia applause moments because it felt borderline, maybe more than borderline disrespectful, especially to Christopher Reeve, who sadly isn't even with us anymore. Michael Shannon and Zod was kind of more the same for me, not disrespectful, but just really nothing useful here other than being a villain that people know. It could have been anybody, really. It's like Warner Brothers wanted to distract as much as they could from the Barry story for some reason, except the Barry story was the only thing that really worked about the movie. A great example of this is the scene where the two Barrys finally team up to fight as, you know, co-flashes, and they go to that raconteur song, and they're doing all these kinds of crazy things, but they intercut that fight with the fight that Supergirl is having with Zod. And those are two completely different tones in the movie. The two Barry's fighting is supposed to be like, hey, fun, look at these two Flashes doing what they do. The Supergirl-Zod fight is like very emotionally fraught because she just found out that Zod killed Superman as a baby. Like, he literally killed baby Superman. So that's supposed to be like very emotionally heavy and, you know, like like almost like catharsis for her. Like, she's letting out all this rage and anger. But you're intercutting it with all this fun Flash stuff and for the audience it tamps down the fun of the two berries because you're cutting away from them to a conflict that you already know is supposed to be kind of serious but it also removes a lot of the gravity from the Supergirl Zod showdown because you are kind of deflating the drama around that and when I see a weird editing choice like that to me it says that they were having trouble finding either the tempo or the tone of the film and editing or both like they had these two confrontations and they didn't quite know where to put them so they said, well, let's just montage them and put them both together. Sometimes that would work, but not when you have two confrontations that are completely tonally different, that should be treated different ways in the same movie. Also, and and perhaps somebody out there can help me, I've looked it up and haven't really had any luck. I didn't really get the come on Barbie, let's go party reference between the two berries, unless it was set up earlier in the movie or there's like some other flash um, history that I missed because it just seemed like kind of a random, like, was this Warner Brothers cross promotion for Barbie? Maybe it was just a lame reference. I don't know. But if you happen to know why they chose to do that, let me know down in the comments below because they kind of played it up like it was supposed to be a big moment. So we get to the end of the movie. We have the George Clooney ending. Hey, look, there he is. It seems like Michael Keaton and Sasha Kaye have been shelved. The Barry's tooth falling out joke. To me, again, screams of a reshot ending that they're like, well, how do we end this thing? we got to find a joke. And it's actually, again, so similar to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Both of those endings also felt like they were kind of hastily reshot. And they're like, oh, what's a good joke to go to credits? And they just kind of threw in the best thing that they could. Oh. Oh. 
but it doesn't really work. I just think it's kind of a lame joke. And again, what is the tone of this movie by the end of it? I don't know what you want me to think of it. And then we have the post credit scene with Jason Momoa's Aquaman, which from what I can gather is the Aquaman in Barry's reality where George Clooney is Batman. But the Aquaman that we're going to see later this year is the Aquaman from the DCEU Zack Snyder reality where, you know, Barry came from before he changed everything. Usually I would kind of focus more on this, but let's be honest, it doesn't really matter because if Ben Affleck pops up in Aquaman, then I guess we know that we're not in Barry Allen's reality, but then where's Barry? None of it matters because this is all coming to an end, and I feel like Warner Brothers knew that as well, and you can tell. They don't really care about the ramifications because they're like, eh, whatever, we're going to reset everything anyway. Which, you know, I mean, that's a stance to have, but there are people like myself out there who would like to see, even if there's something that's going to end soon, some effort to end it in a, I don't know, satisfying way at least. Overall, I don't think I could ever say that I hated this movie or even disliked it. I just don't think I'll ever love it either. I'll probably buy it eventually, if only to have more Michael Keaton Batman on my shelf. And this could have been something very special, either the definitive Flash story or the dawn of a new era in the DC Universe or both. But it's mostly neither, despite strong execution on that Barry story. And like a lot of the DCEU, it's the opportunities that are missed that seem to be the headline here, rather than the successes. So The Flash, a very complicated movie, and a movie that seems to be heading toward a very complicated legacy in the DC Universe. What did you think? Have you already seen it? I hope so, because I just spoiled all of the big stuff about it. Let me know down in the comments below. Thank you to my sponsors. Be sure to check out the description to find out more about them. But most of all, thank you for spending part of your day here with me. I'll be back very soon to talk about The Flash's box office, as well as more movie news, reviews, box office, you name it. It's all here on the channel. Thank you so much. Until next time, stay safe, and I'll see you then. Bye.